0: Hello, and welcome to the Online Vacation Pod, a podcast produced by Zuma. It's now 2022, and uh, I've started getting busy booking guests and coming up with topics for future episodes. Uh, but this week, I thought we could take a look back at some of the highlights from our most listened to episodes from last year. To start off with, we're going all the way back to episode four, which posed the interesting question, is Amazon your competitor or a potential partner? Let's hear what Stellan had to say.
1: How should B2B companies uh, think about Amazon? Are they a potential partner or a competitor?
2: Yeah, that's a very important question to ask yourself. And I think the answer depends a lot on, on where you are in your business at the moment. I myself, if I was a startup that wanted to reach out broadly in a very short time period, I would consider Amazon as sort of a, a starting platform to make that leap if i had um, uh, a sort of very well organized distribution chain uh, and sort of a, a a high level of of sort of protective borders around my business i'm not so sure that i would uh, sort of take the leap and and uh, open up to amazon as a sales channel so um, i think it depends on your on your position um and you have to think about the competition in that way as well so Um, your smaller competitors will definitely utilize Amazon sooner or later. And um, then the question is, will that make them leapfrog you eventually? Or what do you do to sort of tackle that? So you you can't ignore, even if you decide not to go with Amazon, you can't just ignore Amazon. You have to make an active plan for Amazon.
1: Yeah. Anders, what's your take on, on that?
3: I mean... You, you have the possibility, and I speak generally now, you have the possibility to ask yourself a couple of, of questions connected to, to your question. We, we have seen examples through the years where, um, where, where companies have actually come in a position where they compete with themselves and themselves being Amazon, uh, where, where distributors or wholesalers or local agents have decided to go with Amazon. So you, you have to ask yourself a question, which is, uh, are you sure you have all the agreements and, and contracts in place when it comes to your partners and, and your wholesalers and everyone else? You, you have to ask yourself if you can um, if you have the right knowledge and, and access to, to drive successful e-commerce on your own without. Yeah. Amazon or Alibaba or whoever you, you have to think when you go to a new country where Amazon is perhaps present and active, if the investment on doing it yourself versus doing it together with Amazon Mm. in a country is is relevant. Uh, You have to think through your brand, what it means for your brand. And you have to think through what your principle is when it comes to customer data. Do you want to know all the? Do you want to have and own all the transactional data? I'm I'm just throwing up a couple of questions now. But you you need to be very very structured and firm on when when you do this. You need to answer a couple of questions when it, when it comes to everything from as mentioned data to contractual things. Although a very broad answer, but but, um, as long as you can make the decision yourself, make make sure you answer all the right questions.
0: Next, we're jumping to episode five, which was all about digital readiness. In this clip, Anders wonders whether individuals and companies really mean it when they claim to embrace online and digital.
1: Anders, I know that you recently
0: published a poll on uh, LinkedIn
1: Asking, when it comes to digital behavior, how ready are you? And you got answers. I embrace digital. I'm ready to become digital. I'm still skeptic to digital. Do you have any conclusions on the answers you've got so far?
3: A while ago, we started asking questions like that in um, workshops. And especially the more decision makers that were in the workshops or the webinars or, or so forth. And people tend to want to answer, I embrace digital. I believe that that should be the one where very few answer that I, I think. And again, up until March, 2020, <laughs> no one was allowed to answer that <laughs> most. And, and when I look at people answering that, I get interested in how did you think when you put your name there? I can also look at the second alternative where I would be very happy if most people actually put their names there. And, and two of our colleagues put their names there. And I think it was at the point that I, when I looked at the poll the, the last time, four people were there. And, and I asked one of those colleagues, did you put your name as I am now ready? Yes, I cannot put my name in the other one. Why? I don't run my life through voice. I don't order everything possible to order through online and so forth. And I understood why he put his name there. Then yesterday, another colleague said, have you seen who's been putting that? He is now ready. Where should I then put my name? Yeah, depending on how you think, where do you want to put your name? i want to put my name that uh, i embrace digital how the hell could he put his name on i am now ready so it depends on what you compare with and and how you think i would love if more people would be honest and actually put it under the third alternative i'm skeptic and i think it's healthy that people are skeptic to digital it's a broad question from us, but I think it's very healthy to be skeptic. And it doesn't matter if you go to the sort of sort of reference of the social dilemma, or if you're a decision maker in the company in a company saying, Of course I'm skeptic. We've been investing lots of money and never seen any actual result of it. So so I, I just think it's an interesting thing to look what what people answer.
0: This next clip is from the very first episode of the pod, which we published all the way back in February last year. That episode was all about working remotely and the challenges of managing a remote team. Um, But I chose this clip because at this point, Anders gives a prediction of what he thinks the office will look like in the future. Uh, And it actually turned out that his prediction was pretty accurate. Let's take a listen.
2: And, uh, and, then- and on, on, on a larger scale, this is obviously also the, the multi-billion dollar question, both in, in real estate, but also for many large corporations. Mm-hmm. How much uh, office space do we need and uh, how, what, would it, what will it look like? Mm-hmm. I- imagine that
3: everyone in SUMA had to be in the office from tomorrow. Someone forced us to be in the office tomorrow. I like to think about us as people who learn things. So firstly, we can't sit as close to each other as we used to do in the office. It's one meter, about one one meter between the colleagues here, four by four, that's one thing. Number two is many of our customers will not travel anymore as much as they did doing workshops in Suma because they realize that the workshops sometimes are even better and more creative through video than gathering people, waiting for flights and so on. Many of the external relations um, will demand that we do it through video. And then the office needs to look different because then we need to have small rooms. And and for people my age uh, who remember when all offices contained (laughs) small rooms, uh, there there will be, as Stellan said in a shorter version, huge implications of moving back to how it was before, because many things have already changed, and there will be people who say, no, I will not allow you to fly to us to do the workshop, you shall have the workshop globally through Zoom or Teams or, or whatever, So, so if we imagine that we throw ourselves back to the time when everyone is in the office, there uh, needs to be more space in the office. The office needs different type of walls, different type of rooms. We haven't experienced in 10 months that we couldn't book a conference room. A conference room is always possible to book through online, but no one will cope with that. Everyone in Zuma sits in front of their screens, waving with their arms and speaking out in the air. That would be awful. And the noises around us would be too much. So we need small boxes with very good air condition because the buildings where offices are today are not built anymore to contain small rooms with a different type of equipment in there to have good with you meetings. So I would love to hear more discussions about that.
0: One of Lassie's most popular episodes actually came out right at the end of the year. I'm talking about episode 45, where I was joined by Tobias Pasma, our brand new HubSpot solutions architect. He had a few bits of good advice for companies looking to succeed with HubSpot. Like In your experience, having worked with HubSpot for quite a long time, like what are those common mistakes that you see generally?
4: Mm, so mistakes that happen a lot is more like in the i would say in the beginning you see a lot of mistakes uh not so much around like how people are using hubspot but more on their expectations with it uh <laughs> hubspot themselves and hubspot partners are pretty good at selling hubspot but that comes with the consequence that sometimes the expectations are uh different from what they are um and that can be that it's um well if we implement this then we are going to generate more leads yeah no that's only half the story or if we implement this then we're going to have higher quality leads no it's you just get an empty toolbox it's what you do with it that makes a difference um so i think that's uh that's of course a very uh common mistake or that it's like uh, implemented as a as a project like uh, yeah we have a project, uh HubSpot implementation and uh Okay, so we have someone available to do this the coming uh two months and after that after that we'll see. And then nothing happens. Um then there's maybe like two ebooks live and maybe three blocks published in a year and then it's like, yeah, we're not seeing an ROI of this. Yeah, we're going to cancel. Like, oh, You didn't even try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh so around like expectations and like the amount of like time invested. Uh quite a lot of mistakes that come from there and then a little bit more. Another thing is that there's no like real owner of the tool. Um I think it's like it significantly boosts like your the amount of success you can get with the tool if there's like one person who's like the HubSpot hero. Who actually enjoys the tool who likes the tool who understands the tool who gets a bit hyped about the tool uh and that internally people can go to and ask questions uh that kind of promotes the tool and comes up with suggestions in like meetings where maybe a partner is not always there and come up with a suggestion like oh hey but we can maybe use hubspot for that or yeah maybe we shouldn't do that in that tool maybe we should move that over to hubspot or a kind of a, an internal champion. That's really like in the
0: beginning, beginning. So now we've come to last year's most listened to episode. It's episode 16, which was all about gated versus ungated content. To explain what that means, we spoke about whether it's better to have your most valuable piece of content open to everyone on your website, or if you should hide them behind a form or something similar. As always, Stellan had some pearls of wisdom to share.
1: What kind of content do you think companies should gate versus ungate?
2: yeah, so so basically, um, what you should gate is content that is of really high value. so it should it should be data that the person can't get anywhere else. Uh, it could be your own original research, or uh, it could also be that it's from an author that is really sought after. Uh, but that type of, uh, that type of content uh, could, you know, if you have a, a price list uh, of, of your services, for example, or your products, that could be an excellent thing to gate, depending on what your sort of customer journey and sales process uh, looks like. But obviously, it's, uh, it's high value content. Um, so that's, that's the most obvious things to gate. Uh, and then there is a sort of a gray area. Uh, from that down to the um, down, down to things where you have to more or less provide the answer already in an article and it's on a topic that is uh, sort of competitive meaning you the, the potential lead can find that information in other places as well and if you don't provide it so that it's indexed by Google and other search engines can find it then you you won't be sort of part of the table because you won't be attracting that traffic and those people in the first uh, from from the beginning.
1: Is there a general objective with gating content and a general objective with un-gating content?
2: Yeah. So typically gating is because you want to make sure that you can uh, lead nurture in a good way. So you can you can start a relationship with a known contact. Um, and then to ungate is essentially, then, as I said before, you could uh, start with content that like it needs to be written in an ungated form. But you can also have tried to gated content, which you then find that there is very few people who find it, uh, or the people who find it don't convert on that page and and uh, give away their information. So then you should try to ungate the content and see if you can increase the organic uh, traffic, see if you can get people to convert after the fact so they read the content like the content and then can they convert afterwards to perhaps perhaps get a template or get a guide where they can practically then um, implement what they've learned from reading the content
0: well i hope you enjoyed this little retrospective of 2021 I'm really looking forward to uh, to seeing what discussions we're going to have in 2022. And if you'd like to listen to them, you should subscribe. You can do that either right here in uh, the podcast app of your choice or over on our site, zoomer.agency. Just Google the onlineification pod and you'll find the right place. Thanks again, and uh, we'll see you next time.